J.T. Crowley is talking books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I'm extremely delighted to welcome back Paul Jones. This is our second interview, because the last one we did, we talked about his book, Standing Alone and a Flavor of Stories. But for this podcast, we he's got some new books for you. And there are four that we're going to chat about. So as you can see, he's been a very busy, busy author, everyone. But one of the books that we are going to highlight is his latest book, Just When You Thought You Knew, which he published earlier on this year. Paul was born in Pine Bluff, Jefferson County, a small town in the U.S. state of Arkansas. Today, he lives in Little Rock, the capital of the state of Arkansas, with his wife, Candice, to whom he's been married to for 16 years. He has two sons from a previous marriage, Justin and Jordan. And we have to, everybody, believe you me, we have to mention his goddaughter, Brentley, who I had the great privilege when we were putting this podcast together over the couple of Zoom meetings of chatting to her. And she's absolutely stunning, and I can see why he dotes on her. And I even had the great privilege of meeting his wife, Candice. There you go, everyone. Paul served in the U.S. Armed Forces. He's worked as a law enforcement and prison officer. And if you ask his friends, he's an absolute, complete car nerd. Really is, everyone. He really is. He has a degree in criminal justice. And his time in the armed forces took him to countries like Germany, Honduras, just to name a few. Now, I've known Paul now for over 18 months. And when we do our chats and we communicate with each other, we have a little standard joke. And that is, Paul always ends his uh, sentences or his comments with yes, sir. And he'll probably do it in this podcast. I've tried to encourage him not to, but I've given up, quite frankly, everybody, because he'll just do it. And you can never take the military man out of a man. So he'll probably go, yes, sir. And if he does, just laugh, because I will, everybody. <laughs> I've tried. Paul, come and join yes, me. Sir. Yes, sir. How you doing? See, I told you, everybody. There he goes. Yes, sir. How you doing? <laughs> um, Paul, before we get into the books, can you tell the viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, your family, and why at this stage of your life you've turned to writing? Well, yes, sir. I was, I was born, like you said, I was born in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I have five siblings. Uh, I'm the oldest male. I'm married. Uh, been married 16 years to Candace, two sons, Justin and Jordan, and my beautiful, wonderful little goddaughter, Brindley. And I just have a passion for writing now. I just love writing. So before we actually, um, you know, get into the books, um, Everyone, we're going to be talking about four of Paul's books. Um, they're going to be Waking Up, Jake's Story Part One and Part Two. So there are two books. Uh, Living Life, Poems to Live By. And then his latest book, Just When You Thought You Knew. So 
Let's start with Waking Up Jake's Story, part one, which you put out some time ago, and it was re-edited in September 2022. Now, there are, technically speaking, 11 chapters. But for me, everybody, when you look at the book, I'm thinking, are they chapters or are they acts? Acts in a, you know, a play, you know, the scenes. So you'll hear me referring to them as acts, and Paul will probably say chapters. There you go. Um, so, because when you look at the book, everybody, the story of Jake really is, it's a play. And I think if I, when I, you'll find out from Paul why it's originally written like that and why he's written the whole book in the style that he has. Now, there are many twists and turns here, everybody, as there should be in a good book. Um, now, Paul, you want you felt that the best chapters, acts for us to look at, to talk about, to reflect the overall concept of this book, uh, was um, chapter one, act one, everyone, <laughs> the birth of Jake, um, Jake, chapter three, and Jake the Man, Chapter 4. So let's go to Act 1, Chapter 1, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, we'll be running this throughout the whole podcast, everybody. The Birth of Jake. Firstly, I need to ask you, why have you set the book out in this way, this fashion? You know, it's, it's like a so-called play format. And why the characters, you know, Jacob, Moore, Boss, uh, Mr. Ellie, and Miss Esther, who dominate the scenes here. And why the opening storyline? Uh, yes, sir. First off, Jake was originally supposed to be a play. I was writing a play, and then I thought, well, I just I just started writing. I, I wrote it in book form instead of a play form. And the characters themselves, you know, before you have Jake, you have to have Jacob. Before you have, you know, Jake, you have to have Mark. So I had to introduce his mother and father instead of just jumping straight into Jake. I didn't want anybody to say, okay, where did Jake come from? What about, you know, his background, this, that. So I had to introduce his mother and father and how his father started working, where he was working, the boss. He played a big part of the first chapter also because the way it was written, it was written like in the Jim Crow era, how how they didn't take care of a, the blacks, the blacks worked really hard on plantation-like farms, and the boss took care of them for his housing and everything else. And then the neighborhood, Mr. Eli, uh, Miss Esther, they, it was a community. They worked together. The, the families, the blacks and stuff, they worked together in order to get things done, to have things move, move around and stuff. When I look at the chapter Jake, um, here we have the characters Jake, Nikki, Clyde, Cleo, and young lady. What strikes me here is the style of language that you use, Paul. Um, and it suggests to me that it's black African American characteristics, possibly going back to the mid 20th century. So, why this methodology and why the storyline with these characters? 
Yes, sir. The 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 language was because you gotta think about it. It started off in the south, in the south of United States, and English was broken. And when Jake finally did meet somebody who spoke correct English, he thought she talked funny. And he asked her to learn him how to speak. You know, and she said, Well, I can't learn you, I can teach you. But that's why the English was so broken because they would never talk proper English. They just spoke the way they heard their ancestors and everybody else speak. So why the storyline here? The storyline about um, Jake meeting Nikki and all that because once he left his farm, he came to a big city and I wanted him to meet somebody that wasn't good for him. But at the same time, it shows how how, uh, Jake's character is. Jake was a strong, handsome man like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll let the listeners and the audience make that judgment, everyone. (laughs) Jake was strong and handsome, but he had low self-esteem. And when a man has low self-esteem, it take he could take it could take any woman or any person to manipulate him. And that's what was going on in his life at that time. I'm not gonna say too much on it because I want you to read it and see what's going on in there. When you look, um, everybody, at the uh, the opening gambit, which is in italics, everyone here, I'm going to quote it. Jake met a young, what you might or might not call a lady. Hmm. I'll let you decide for yourselves there. She was the type you definitely wouldn't write a letter home to your mother about. Hmm. She even made Faye appear, and Faye is one of the characters in the book, a saint. And Faye ain't no saint, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So the plot... You know, in this chapter, really starts to thicken, it starts to build, and it starts to twist. Have you done this this way to um, engage with the readers here? Yes, sir. You, I never want you to think you know what's going to happen next, because just as soon as you start thinking, "Oh, I know what's going to happen next," it twists, and then you say, "Oh, I didn't see that coming." I have, I have so many readers that have read this book and they come back to me and say, man, they get upset with me first off because they think something, one thing is going to happen. I tell you, keep reading, keep reading. So once they keep reading, I say, man, why you do that? Why you do that? I say, well, that's what it's for. Absolutely. You've got to keep the readers turning those pages, everyone. Yes, sir. See, I told you he'll say yes, sir, throughout the whole of the interview. I give up. <laughs> Now, Paul, in Jake the Man, this is chapter four, everybody. Why are you telling us about the story of Cleo here? Uh, what happened to her when she was a young uh, young girl? And the story of Nikki, plus Jake's reactions. The scenes can be viewed as risque, carnal. Um, so when I read them, I was thinking, what is Paul trying to say here? So 
What are you trying to say here, Paul? And why is this a significant scene for you to extol the virtues of your book? Because this is one of the chapters you said you wanted to talk about. Why? Well, first, first you have to look at Jake. Yeah. Because that right there lets you know his personality, where he's where he comes from, how he thinks, how he feels. Because I can't tell you what all went down with uh, what happened to Cleo or Nikki because you had to read the book yourself. But the events that happened in their lives, it could have turned the a normal person off. It could have made them reject her or whatever, reject them. But no, it made Jake uh, feeling seem stronger. And he's very supportive. And with, uh, what happened to Cleo is that she, she had to overcome some things. She did. In her life. Yeah, And I feel like every one of us have things we have to overcome and it shouldn't stop us because if you, if you buy the book, you read the book, you find out exactly how Cleo has moved on with her life, how things have happened in her life and all that. Then you read how Nikki is because she has a very uh, terrible past also, trouble past, and but she's taking it to a different level. So People handle adversities different. Yeah. And you'll see that if you, once you get the book and read it. It's two different girls reacting to different things in their lives in a different way. Yes, sir. Um, Paul, let's go to um, the second book in the series, um, you know, Waking Up. Why did you feel it was important to write the second book, uh, Waking Up, Jake's Story Part 2? Did you feel that there was unfinished business to talk about? Or was this people who read the first book and said, you need to write more because we want to know what's happened to Jake? Or was it a bit of both? And why did you just do it in one block, one scene, one act, everyone? <laughs> well, Jake... Once people read the first book, they kept asking me, what happened? What happened? Uh, what Jake going to do next? What happened to Jake? Why, why you stop here? Why this happened? Why that? So I felt compelled to continue to write on that part. But then once I started writing, I said, Jake does have a lot more to tell. He has a lot more. And the reason I didn't break it down in sections is because this is now, this is Jake's life. This is not different sections of his life. This is his life. So I didn't break it down into uh, chapters or acts. This is his life now. <laughs> this is life. And uh, so I didn't feel the need to put chapters or this or that or this in there because all of it is Jake. It's Jake. So... I mean, the storyline here and the new characters, Jake is, you know, here sporting a young man, Joseph, who uh, was living on the streets. He's set him up with new clothes. He's setting up the accommodation. He's giving him some money. He's finding him a job. This is what the story is about here. Um, plus, it's also about Jake's own relationship with Joan. But what intrigues me the most here is why this story of Joseph. This has really got me going here. Well, 
we all have purpose, a purpose in our life. And it could be to a people, a person, or, or something like that. And Jake always knew that something was in his life. So he had a purpose in his life. And it, it was revealed to him in a dream when he was praying, of course. And this character, came, he didn't know what the purpose was, but once he met him, he knew. I can't say too much because I want everybody to read it. But at the same time, Joseph, Jake felt compelled to help him. I put it that way. He felt compelled to help him. And uh, Joan, Jake had to, had to come back to his senses after what happened to him before. I, I don't want to say too much because it's just like a good movie. If I say too much, you don't want to watch it. <laughs> exactly. Read the book, everyone. It's worth a read, believe you me. Um, now, Paul, the next book we're going to look at is you reverting back to poetry, a genre that you embrace with a passion. The book is Living Life, and you've set the boundaries here by describing all these poems as poems to live by. You divide the poems into five categories, matters of the soul, heart, spirit, life, and just matters. What's the purpose of grouping the poems under these headings? And where did you get your ideas for each of the poems? Do they derive from what you see in life, what you observe, what you experience? Where do they come from and why the groupings? Living Life Poems to Live By, basically, the poems are a part of me, a part of other people. The things I've, I feel, when I look at people, I can feel things, I feel them. Like, for instance, Smile, the poem Smile itself. I saw this young lady. And I said, she needs to smile. Because I didn't tell her that, of course, because people think it's a pickup line. <laughs> but uh, I said, she needs to smile because her smile could change the way a lot of people feel. Just like if you frown, you can bring other people down. But it's not going to change the world. But at the same time, it could change one person. A smile could change a lot of things. You could walk in a room with a smile and brighten that whole room up. But well, at the yeah, same absolutely. time... And of course that... Um, and of course that yes, little chapter or that little poem is in the matters of the soul, everyone. Now, for me, Paul, the poems Emptiness and Private Prison Under Matters of the Soul and smile under matters of the heart. So I do correct myself here, because I believe I said smile, everybody, it's under matters of the soul. It's not. It's under matters of the heart. I've corrected myself. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, really stood out. And what I want to do here is I'm going to read Emptiness, everyone, so that you can get a flavour of what Paul's poetry sounds like. And then I'm going to ask Paul to say what was behind this poem. So this is the poem, Emptiness, and it's under matters of the soul in the book. Emptiness. If you look into my mind, what would you see? A garden, a yard, or maybe a tree? When you look into my eyes, is it a joyful tear? Or are they just full of fear? When you look at my lips, do they speak words that you can trust? Or do they just speak out of lust? We all play little games, but are we really the same? 
We all have a role to play, and that role will decide if we are here to stay. When the end comes and the truth is told, where will there be a place for your soul? Very endearing, isn't it? Why that poem? Emptiness is basically talking about a relationship. You, you, you might ask, why emptiness? Well, when you look at a person, if you look at a person, you hear a person, you feel a person, you look, when they're speaking, you find out what's up here, what's in their mind. Is it a garden which blooms and you know, productive? A yard which is just, could be just plain? Or a tree that's strong and bold? So emptiness is more of a relationship of my eyes, are they full of fear or, or is it just a joyful tear? Is it tears? My, when I talk to you, is it lust or are there words you can trust? And then at the end, it's your relationship with Christ. You know, I, am I going to stay or do I have a place for my soul when I leave here? Yes, we have a place, but you want the right place. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's, whether you turn right empty. or left. Mm. Yes, sir, that's emptiness. It's brilliant by everybody. And a lot of the poems are like that. There are a lot of poems, as I said, under those five headings. And smile is on a matter of the heart, everyone, not the soul. <laughs> <laughs> now, Paul, the fourth and last book we're going to talk about in this podcast is your latest book, which you've published this year. There are 23 chapters in this book, which you state as being stories of life. And there is one chapter, which is a collection of stories within a story. Now, we're not going to read all the stories, everybody, because we'll be here forever and a day. And that's not the purpose of the podcast. And the idea is to give you flavor. And if you're interested, you go buy the books. Um, but we are going to concentrate on four of these um, stories, which uh, both myself and Paul have agreed are the best stories that reflect this wonderful new book of his. So let's go to the first highlighted story, Paul, in this city. Why this story of John, an old former from out of town, coming to a city, a city he sees as a place of turmoil and depression. He's looking for a wife. But he's got, if he'd looked back home, he would have found one there. Why the yes, story? Sir, you know, we, are, we, we all know the old adage, the grass is greener on the other side. But once you get over there, you find out it's artificial turf. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, excuse me. So, John, John thought he would have to go to the city, which is filled with crime, uh, turmoil, and depression. It's it just, and it's an over exaggeration, of course, but that's how he feels. That's how he sees it. So he 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 feel like he need to go there to find the woman of his dreams. But once he get there, gets there, he realizes, and he goes back home and realized that what he wanted and what he needed was right down the street from him. It's a, it's, I mean, it's, it's old as this is, this is an old love story. 
know, you always think that the one across the fence is better than what you have inside the fence. Yeah, it's very true. And it's not always the case, everyone. No, so not always. It isn't. <laughs> now, so Paul, I, didn't say, I didn't say yes, sir. I said no, sir. <laughs> check him out, everyone. <laughs> now, Paul, I like the stories of David's dream and vanity. Now, David's dream is about a message he received from the Lord. And vanity, here we have a completely different character. The character is Carl. Carl is a womanizing narcissist whose life is all about him. Everything is about him. Now, these are two very simple but effective stories which strongly advocate the device, the diverse stories in this book. So why these two characters and why these very contrasting plots? Well, with David, it, it is David going to show you that the Lord can call you to do different things. And you, we look for the miraculous things when he calls us to do things. We look for something where we're like a drum major leading the band. You know, we up in the poor pit. We, we're, we're the big time TV minister or something. We look for the big things. But sometimes it's, it's what you're doing right now. It's just keep doing what you're doing because you never know the lives that you're touching that the Lord have plans for. So that's what David did. He thought he had to you know, do so much. But he didn't realize that the things he was doing was exactly what God wanted him to do at that time. And then and when we Carl? get to Carl, Carl, he thought his body, his looks, his car, his job, he thought that was his life. I mean, that made him. But then an event happened where he messed up his hand and he was not able to work out. So from that point on, it destroyed him. It destroyed his working out. And when it destroyed his working out, it destroyed his physique. When it destroyed his physique, his looks started going down. And then his mentality started going down. So he went down. So it goes to show you that your mentality, it doesn't come, it, your body does not make you. Your car does not make you. Your looks, they don't make you. What make you is what you feel about yourself and how you carry yourself, how you care about others. Carl cared about no one but himself. And that would destroy him. Mm. And there are lots of other stories, everyone, similar to those. Uh, but Paul, when we discussed uh, what areas both you and I felt best reflected the overall concept and purpose contained within the pages of this magnificent book of yours, you chose Cyrus's love letters, um, which is towards the end of the book, everybody. So why this story, um, as opposed to, say, um, Luca's story? Cyrus's love letter is about passion, the love that a person has inside of them, and they will express it to others. I, 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 I've uh, put Cyrus's love letter on Facebook. I recited it and got over a thousand some views, a thousand some likes, because so many, so many people do have that passion in them. 
So many people have the passion, but they don't know how to express it. I had one review on Amazon where one guy said he suggests you recite passion or read passion to your loved one because it has that much. Oh, come on now. <laughs> so it's just it's just that um, it, that's what Cyrus's love letter is about passion. And then when you get to Muka's story, Muka's story is about this man. He was a full man. He he had his family, he had everything going on. But then all of a sudden he became a slave. But he never gave up the hopes and dreams of becoming a free man, a whole man again, which is also passion. So it both are passion, passionate poems. But one is passion for as love and desire. One, the other is passion for hopes and dreams. There you go. Now, Paul, what's next? You know, with regards to your writing, any more books coming down the line? Uh, yes, yes, sir. Right, right now, I'm working on a children's book, probably for the age between six and maybe twelve, and it's probably my hardest book because I have to tone down the way I think. Because, as you see, I'm a very, I'm a very realist. And I have to tone it down some, but it's still going to be real. Don't get me wrong. I'm still going to be a realist, but I have to tone it down some. And I might be coming up with, a, I might come up with Jake part three. I've been, I have thoughts about it because I left it. If you read part two, you see that I left it where I could add part three to it. Depend on the feedback I get on part two. If, if, if I get anything like the feedback I got on part one, Part three is coming, but uh, right now I'm, I might I, I have that on the shelf, so I'm working on that. But the children's book I'm working on, hopefully I have it out 2024. Hopefully, if not, be early 2025. I think he's got a little bit of wriggle room, everyone, for book three in uh, waking up Jake. That's my opinion. Um, who do you see as your markets for your books, Jake? Sorry, uh, Paul. I'm giving all you Jake now. <laughs> well, I said he was handsome and built like me. <laughs> oh, get out of yourself! <laughs> <laughs> but um, the market for Jake, it could be anyone from teenager to adult, because Jake life itself it reflects on poverty, it reflects on gain, it reflect, reflects on passion emotions, it, it, it has a big reflection. It has a lot of reflections. So Jake could be from teenager on up, you know. There you go. And and your latest book, again, same sort of market or for a little bit older? I feel like same market because okay. today's teenagers are 20 years old now. <laughs> but, uh, Going on but, 30? Uh, yes, sir. Mm. But... Uh, I feel that living uh, just when you thought you knew will help a lot of teenagers. And so many, because some of the stories in there, some of the stories in there, for instance, like Oshila, you know, where. Now, that, where I grew up. now that's the stories in a story chapter, everyone. 
Yes, sir. My little characters there, read it. Where this young girl will listen to this older woman. And so many of so many teenagers today don't do that. No. Which they need they need to do because it's a lot of wisdom in the older people. Oh yeah, but when you're a teenager, you know, did you listen to your mom or did you just say, Oh, do you know what? Yeah, 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 yeah. And she would well, write in the end. A, a, a little bit of both. Yeah, see. <laughs> uh, but what we did do, we listened to the people in the neighborhood because if you didn't and you went back home before you made it home, they had already called your mom. <laughs> yeah, and she was on the door she was on the porch door saying, Hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, Paul, where can people get your books from? Right now you can get them from my website, which is www.pauljonestherwriter.com. You can get them from uh, Trafford Publishing, Amazon. You can order from Barnes & Noble. You can even order from Walmart. Thank you very much, Paul Jones. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to interview you for the second time. And I hope we'll do lots more interviews when more books come out. I simply say to you all, go and have a look at his books, everybody. Not just the ones that we've talked about in this podcast, but the ones we've talked about in previous podcasts. And enjoy his books. And I simply say, Paul Jones, thank you very much for joining me today. Yes, sir. Thank you. And he has to end on that one, doesn't he? Yes, sir. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you are in the world. Until next time, stay safe.